Welcome to Marketing Hell, I'm Richard Leyland. This is the podcast that picks through the rubble of our most dismal marketing failures to see if we can find one or two lessons so you can make all different blunders in your own campaigns. In this episode, I'm interviewing James Mulvaney. James is a, an entrepreneur, I'm tempted even to use that cliche, a serial entrepreneur, and he's a marketer. For most of his career, he's been working, growing businesses in the uh, broadcast media and online media. He's the guy behind radio.co, which is a, a radio station management tool, the guy behind podcast.co, which is a podcast hosting platform, and how I met him, he's also the founder of matchmaker.fm, which is uh, like Tinder for podcasters. I can't stand it when something is like Tinder for something else, or like Grinder for something else, or like Airbnb for something else. Um, but anyway, that means you understand it, Tinder for podcasters. And as I always say, James, our guest, is a skilled marketer. He's actually good at this stuff. So I want to thank him for putting his ego aside and sharing his own personal marketing hell with me and with you. So let's get to it. So, James, welcome to Marketing Hell. Great to speak to you. Thanks for having me, Richard. So what first occurred to you? What was the first thought when I invited you on a podcast called Marketing Hell? I guess it kind of brings me back to the early days when I was just starting my business. And I won't kind of give, give you my complete backstory, but I started out when I was really young. I started my first company when I was like 16, 17 years old. Um, didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I was just kind of learning on the job, figuring out as I went along. And sometimes that's the best thing. Um, so I kind of knew how to build websites. I'd sort of created a product. I'd found someone who was techie who could kind of do that sort of stuff for me. And then I kind of uh, went off to university. And as part of that, I was in a business incubator, um, you know, which is a bit like a kind of shared workspace where you get mentoring, all this sort of stuff. And uh, one of the mentors there said to me, you know, you've got to do one or two days a week where you just focus on marketing. And I was like, I don't like marketing. I'm not interested in marketing. I don't want to know about it. Um, but I sort of took his advice. So I thought, I suppose I'd best get stuck into it. And the irony is now, 15 years later, I absolutely love marketing. You know, But mm. but back then, I was like, I knew, I knew how to build a website. And maybe I did know a little bit more than I thought. And one of the things that I learned, uh, this was probably around 2006, 2007, uh, was that, you know, you need to build an email list. And back then, you know, again, it wasn't, it, this knowledge wasn't as easily accessible as it is now, I guess. Um, you know, YouTube wasn't really around. There wasn't like the wealth of information we have. So I, I thought, okay, I'm going to get on with this. And I sort of thought, thought uh, learned that the best way of doing so was to create something that you could give away for free in exchange for people's email addresses. So I actually created a little bit of uh, free software. It was like a Flash application. Do you remember Flash? I do remember it very well. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and, it, and it went down a storm. And like uh, probably about a year later, the, my email database was up to about 20,000. A couple of years later, it was like 60,000. And throughout all of this, it never occurred to me to actually email this list. So I, I was sat on this this marketing goldmine uh, of a database of like highly targeted leads. But I was like, I think I was almost scared to email them because I didn't want to get labeled like a spammer or I, I just probably didn't really know what to say either. Hmm. So it was a very early le lesson where I was like, finally, throughout, I think about three years later, I got around to actually emailing them. And of course... It was, you know, it was a big game changer. But I just looking back, I, I just find it absolutely astonishing that I sat on a, a list of that size for so long without really sending anything to it. Um, I think also it was like not knowing what to say or how to kind of build, I suppose, build a connection or build a rapport with the list, um, which obviously, as we know now, is, you know, it's hugely important. You can't just constantly send people sales related messages. 
it has to be content that they're going to actually engage with and enjoy. But yeah, I, I don't know. It just I, I, it just petrified me of actually saying. And I think the other thing I was concerned about is, oh, I've spent ages building this list and everyone's going to unsubscribe as soon as I email them. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm interested to know, like, this is just a general question, not necessarily that you'd know the answer. But, you know, when you get to a certain size of list that you email, you guarantee that you're going to offend a set of people um, yeah. who can't remember why their email address has, has come into your, you know, your possession and who are in some way offended by what you send them. And, you know, if you do, if you email 100, that probably won't happen. Email 60,000, you're going to get quite a few people that get very offended no matter what you do. Uh, yeah. I don't know where the crossover is, where you have to just put your hard hat on and go for it. Well, eventually I did. And uh, I remember launching a product and sending some emails to the list. And of course, it was a big success because there were so many people who were engaged and targeted. But I th- I, the mistake I made, obviously, was leaving it so long to actually email the list. You know, you've got to keep your list warm, um, which means, you know, contacting them on a regular basis. So regular, so not so regular that it kind of annoys them, but regular enough that, you know, you're delivering value to that list and you're keeping them subscribed. And of course, it's important to remember as well, if someone unsubscribes, they're not right for you anyway. You know, there's, there's no point of having that lead in your database. But yeah, that that was like that was the first marketing disaster, big big mistake earlier on in my career, and I, I to this day I, I find it astonishing that I didn't. I, I was just so, so petrified of I created this massive asset. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. it's not easy to build a list of that size as well now. You know. Yeah, yeah. What what? Tell me, you did in the end get some kind of value out of having a, a big list like that? Well, in the end, I I'd, uh, launched a, another kind of complementary product and. It was actually a big turning point in the business because it was a paid version of what we were giving away for free. And this was a couple of years on and I sort of I'd made my first couple of hires. So um, I wasn't sort of trying to do everything myself. Um, and so we launched this product and yeah, I sent a few emails to the list talking about the upcoming launch of it, you know, to get them excited. And then we we launched it and it was, you know, big, big success. So, so yeah, that was, uh, in the end, I thought, thought, well, I should have done this three years ago. Why have I waited so long? Mm, yeah. You left money on the table to use a really ugly phrase. Yeah. But then I suppose I was only like 2021 20, at the time. So I, I was kind of a bit naive to it all really. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very good. So that I, I'm already curling my toes just a little bit inside <laughs> my shoes. <laughs> Where else can we go next? So next up. This was just probably a couple of years later. I just graduated uni and I was invited to do a talk, right, and share some of my marketing knowledge. And back then I was using YouTube as a, a tool to generate leads. So I thought this is, you know, something that anyone could really do. And it's still incredibly effective, you know, effective to this day. Um, but, you know, I'd never, I think it was the first time I'd ever been asked to kind of speak in front of a crowd. And I went to uni in, in Huddersfield in West Yorkshire, which is kind of a small town. And the business community there is quite kind of close knit, but maybe a little bit sort of old fashioned and not really with the times that certainly was back then. And there I was doing something pioneering using this new thing called YouTube to mm. to create leads and, uh, and turn those leads into customers, which is not a bad idea. And I, I was, it wasn't a talk in front of like a huge crowd. I think there was maybe a couple of dozen people there or something. Mm. Um, and they, they did these talks, you know, I was uh, in this, this uh, media center, which is like an office thing there. And, um, you know, they, they, were, they asked different clients to give talks you know, on a sort of regular basis. So I, I thought, OK, this is a good topic for discussion. And the, the people sat around were just kind of, you know, obviously I was, a young, I was still a young kid. I was like 22 years old, something like that. 
And I just think they were just so skeptical of, of what I was talking about. And like, I remember giving the talk and like, there was a few people there who were like men from the council. Like, and the council had sent them down to sort of like, you know, well, we need to improve our digital strategy or whatever. So why do you go and attend some of these talks? And I just remember that there was this guy there who was, you know, he must have been in his 50s or something. And he just gave me this a proper hard time at the end of my talk when it came to the Q&A. Such a miserable git. And uh, I think he just were like basically summarized it with you're just a kid. What do you know? Or something along those lines. Mm. And uh yeah, it it really just, uh, I remember being quite upset after the whole process thinking, hang on, this is actually really good and this is actually delivering results. But if he doesn't want to listen to me, fine. But it was just the, the guy's reaction to the whole thing was just quite amusing. Yeah. So were you talking them through the specifics of how you were using this video platform yeah. thing to generate a bunch of leads? Is that what the, you were doing? Exactly, really simple process of creating content that's applicable or interesting to your audience. And at the end of the video, having a clear call to action saying, hey, if you want more content like this, give us your email address or uh, go to this website or, you know, download this report or whatever. And, and you know, it's we still do that to this day. And it's, it's, it's always worked. It's always will work. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's about giving value up front to, to your prospects. Uh, but this was just something I'd, I'd been genuinely doing for the like the past, past couple of years, probably just after the the email fear incident. Um, but it was working really well. And, I, you know, it's, it's, it's one of these things that I, just, I thought, well, this can you can apply this to anything. It doesn't matter what market or niche you're in. You know, if your YouTube was, was growing as a kind of destination, an online search engine. So and it was certainly easier then to get ranked on YouTube for specific keywords than it was to get a website ranked. Um, probably yeah. not quite as easy now, but um, you know, it was certainly like if you uploaded a video with a specific set of keywords, you would get traffic. You know, um, and and it was it was just like really really effective. So good strategy. But I say the guys watching the talk were just completely. I don't know if it was just over the heads or they were just hugely skeptical or what. But it was just it was a bit of a, a bit of a disaster, I think, because I just it just didn't seem to go down down very well. I thought it was yeah. good, but they didn't. Yeah. So whenever I've seen young entrepreneurs who are, you know, let's say late te late teens, early 20s, and yeah. I, I'm now 44. I haven't always been 44. Last year I was 43. Um, but I'm now certainly of an age where those people are sort of old enough that they could potentially be my children. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's inherently annoying, right? I, I don't want it to be annoying, but I find them irritating <laughs> just on principle, right? Um, you know, they've got way less experience than I do. And you know that might be an advantage or a disadvantage but i honestly instinctively get irritated by very young entrepreneurs i, I know it says bad <laughs> things of me but i do um so would you think that I was do. it it was just your youth I'm, thir I'm, I'm 33 and i i probably i'm getting to that stage now myself where sometimes i see people are like i don't know tiktok and stuff yeah I, I think it was probably an element of that it's like i think it's uh as, as adults as proper grown-ups you know sometimes you can learn things by listening to younger people and also sometimes i suppose back then you know this was like 2010 i think um you know technology was still very intimidating to a lot of people especially the men from the council in their 50s you know they were petrified of it they didn't understand it and they thought well we, we we've been doing this for years we know what we're doing but of course they had absolutely no bloody clue when it came to the internet or what it was capable of yeah. and it was like they were just reluctant to take that advice on because they knew better i guess yeah, yeah, but yeah. um you know so 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 i suppose there's a you know sometimes now tiktok's a little bit over my head you know i don't really quite get it <laughs> and i see i see it as a, an opportunity but i don't really know how to approach it you know because 
probably I'm just a little bit too old for TikTok now. Yeah, you see, I, I don't think TikTok can can really support my marketing efforts in my current role, which is fundamentally a B two B product development marketing challenge. Um, so I see TikTok as just one of the other things I need to protect my daughter from, frankly. Uh, and I, I know how old that makes me sound. That's probably a good uh, idea, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my perspective on it. I, also, going back to, to the early days of YouTube, I, I will say that um, I was first introduced to YouTube in two very different ways. The first was, um, for a while, I was a hero-worshipped Pete Doherty. Um, for Americans, he's a, he's a rock singer that's more famous for drug addiction than the music he made and the fact that he used to date Kate Moss. But he was a really early user and he'd put like these weird, really scratchy demos up on YouTube. And I found I found them that way. So that was my first introduction. And then the idea of using it to, you know, become an influencer and raise your own personal profile in, you know, commercially. Um, it was a guy called um, Peter Cochran, who's a quite well-known guy in the sort of telecommunications space. And he's he's old, right? He's, he's a retired guy. I don't know how old he is, but he'll probably be in his 70s. He might be touching 80. I don't know. So actually an old yeah. guy introduced me to the whole notion of it as a marketing platform. Um, but yeah. I think that was probably very unrepresentative. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, I've used it ever since. And uh, I think YouTube is, for, for my businesses, has been a, a real good asset, you know. Uh, mm. I think I, I my approach to marketing has always been certainly sort of for the last 10 years has been really like if you deliver value to a marketplace and you teach people how to do stuff that they're looking to find out how to do that is you know creates a, a massive amount of brand advocacy and will turn them into into customers or at least keep your brand at the fresh at the forefront of their mind so maybe when they are in the market to buy your products or services they'll they'll think of you mm. one of the things I'm, I'm thinking about who you were when standing on that stage um, in yeah. this field. Um, one of the things that I personally experienced, I don't know if you did as well, was in the early years of my career, I felt like I was doing okay. And generally, I was the youngest person in the room in, in meetings, you know, strategic meetings. And that told yeah. me, yeah, I'm doing okay, right? Things are, I'm on the way up. And then slowly that changed. I didn't really notice it changing to the point that I'm now never the youngest person in a meeting and often the <laughs> oldest person in the meeting. And did you notice that kind of evolution in your own professional life? Um, that's a good question. I mean, certainly then, you know, I was, I was aware, like it was the first time I'd been asked to go up and kind of give a talk on my business or anything I was doing. And at that point I was a solopreneur. I didn't have any staff working with me. So I was sort of wearing many hats. And this was something that I thought, you know, would be useful to 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 anyone running running a business of any kind. You know, it's something that could be translated to to, to any market. Uh, but yeah, so I was very conscious that I was a lot younger, uh, and you know, and that that came with certain skepticism from the people watching. In terms of like how it's progressed, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose overall, like my my team, I've got um, thirty three uh, team members now who work with me. Uh, I'd say overall, we're we're a pretty young bunch. Um, but yeah, it, it, it certainly now when I'm hiring people who are just, uh, you know, come out of university and I'm looking at their CVs and they were born in like 2000 or whatever. And you think <laughs> and that, I mean, I was, I was a kid in 2013 then, but like when you see people born in 2000 or, or it's, how old is someone 18 now born in 2003, I guess, which is the yeah, year yeah. I finished school. And it start yeah, you do start thinking, wow, this is slowly, I'm, I'm not as young as I was once. Like, yeah, you, you notice it. Yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's only going to get worse. Yeah. So um, <laughs> where should we go next? What's your next marketing help? 
Next one is a bunch of live stream fails. Um, this this has probably occurred, I don't know, five or six years ago when um, we decided, interestingly, you know, one of my businesses is a, is a radio platform, right? So we should know about live streaming. <laughs> we, you know, we do obviously know about live streaming. However, we decided to use, we start, decided to start doing like more webinars, right? So this was probably around, well, we did a couple before Facebook Live yeah. using, uh, I think it was Google Hangouts, wasn't it? You could kind of do a, a live stream using Google Hangouts. So we made a bunch of mistakes here. Uh, one time we set out the wrong like date and time um, because time zones are confusing. Um, so so that's always a good one to get right is make sure your audience know when they're supposed to be there. And of course, everyone turned up and it wasn't happening, yeah. <laughs> which was not a great start. Um, there was another time we were broadcasting, you know, we were doing a webinar and um, there was this echo throughout. We were wondering what the hell, hell was causing this echo. And it just turned out we had the stream open on the computer that was also broadcasting the stream. So... Yeah. But here, let's jump on that, right? Let, let's jump on that. Because I, I, I like pulling these things apart. Now, you had you done that before? Like, had you done a, this, used the same platform before? Uh, yeah, I mean, a couple of times. And I think it was always really like, back then when we used to do these, these webinars, I just remember it being a sort of, uh, quite a lot of them. It was myself and my marketing uh, manager, Mike, and he. Uh, we, we, you know, so we'd be, we'd both be sat there. It was all very much just like we sort of be very squared up to the camera, sat next to each other, and it all just felt a bit awkward. And we'd be like, "What do we put in the background?" So we'd like get you know those sort of pop up banner stands that you can take to conferences, and we'd have them behind us and stuff. And it was just, I think you know, because it was kind of a new thing then. It was like not everyone was doing it. Um, there was always like this big panic and then we went live and we had all these notes in front of us. And I just think the whole thing was very stiff and rigid because <laughs> because we weren't sort of, I don't know, it just felt really, it was a bit of a funny sensation. Yeah, I call that the hostage video, by the way. Yeah. That, that whenever yes. you see it, bad corporate videos, it's always <laughs> yeah. hostage situation. Yeah, I mean, I think again, like that, nowadays, uh, you know, it, it, this was, as I say, this wasn't a huge amount of time ago. It was maybe like six, seven years ago, like 2013, 14, when we first did a few of these. And yeah, I think it was Google Hangouts we had to use to do to do them. So that was like allow us to go live on YouTube. Yeah, it, it was. We, we'd always try and make it sort of sound look professional because we were a radio company. So we were like, well, we need to have good microphones, and you know, uh, we how how can we make it look professional? Like you say, the hostage situation, perfect. Yeah, let, let's get some sort of some like company paraphernalia that we can put behind so we look like a professional company, and. Uh, I suppose nowadays, of course, you know, people are used to seeing people, well, certainly over the last year with the pandemic, it doesn't matter if you're sat in your spare bedroom with the bed in the background, people are just, you know, they're cool about that now. But back then it was like, we were very much like, we need to give off a professional impression of the company. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, it was all very sort of uh, very bizarre. Now I look back yeah, on it, yeah. you know. And how do you handle it though? Like, like when you're, when, when this is clearly a big foul up, and and multiple multiple people are embarrassed by it. Um, how how do you? You're the you're the boss at your current role, right? People are looking yeah. to you. What what do you do? What do you say? Well, you just you you, go, you just go on like I mean I'm pretty sure as well we've we've pr we probably did one once where you know we were broadcasting it wasn't actually going out and we did the whole webinar thinking people were watching and we'd actually forgot you know it's just the little mistakes that you know that that, that we you, you sometimes make and I, re I remember another one we did where one of the there was two we had two guests it, I wasn't in this live stream I was actually um, I was at home actually uh, watching it from from a sofa <laughs> and. Uh, 
one of the microphones was just not like faded up properly. So it, it was like one one person sounded crystal clear and the other one was like like back here sort of thing, you know, like yeah, yeah. And I was like, this is awful. I, mean, I was trying to communicate to, to the guys at the office and I was like, the microphone's not right, the microphone's not right. And of course, the people who are actually sat in front of a camera have no idea. They just think everything's tickety-boo. But there's always like this this sort of mad thing going on. And a good good advice for, for doing live streams and what we what we do now, if we ever do like webinars or to camera stuff that's live in the office and you're not sat directly in front of a computer, e.g., you know, facing your screen, it's just we have a, we have a TV it's on wheels so we roll, roll it up so it's behind the cameras and we just put a google doc on there zoom it in and then someone in the office will just relay messages to us uh, via that google doc so it quite often it's it's q a you know so if, if customers ask questions so we can see what's going on or if there's any problems they can kind of mention it to us which is which is a good way of doing it um yeah you know or you can even i suppose hold up like cue cards like flip chart paper yeah, you get a bit low tech, don't you? Because people instinctively turn off their notifications, they turn off their phone, yeah. you know, they force closed anything that, you know, does instant messaging because they don't want pings and, you know, distractions or whatever. But it closes off the avenue to troubleshoot, doesn't it? To yeah. actually say, get closer to the microphone. I or... think I think as well, like the, the, there's loads of sit like street. I don't know if you've come across StreamYard. This is what I've been using for like the last year or two now. And StreamYard no. makes it so easy to do live streams. It's you know the, the process now is much simpler than it was back then, and, and kind of easier. And the good thing about Streamyard is it pulls all the comments into to a kind of interface. So if you're on different platforms, you can see people commenting and asking questions. So it makes it super simple. Uh, and the other yeah. thing that happened as well when we were doing, you know, a few years ago, we, we had a, a quite well known sort of guest coming on, and she was you know well known sort of speaker, and she'd done quite a few events and things. So we were excited to have her on. And 10 minutes before the, the live stream was due to go out, we we sent her the link. And as I say, I think we were using Google Hangouts to do it. And she she just flat out refused to use Google. She said, I, you know, I don't trust them. I don't want to give them my details. And I was like, mm. we're supposed to be going live. Into, I think we just assumed she'd be fine. But everyone has a Gmail account, right? Yeah, yeah. She was very, very anti-Google, it turned out. And we were... I just wouldn't touch any piece of software from Google. Like, yeah, yeah, she was like, I'm not coming. I can't, we can't use Google. So, 10 minutes before we go to live, I can't remember what we did in the end, but we, we had to somehow get her in via something else. And I think we did. And then I remember her, her connection was awful. Uh, so, you could barely hear what she was saying, or, you know, she didn't have a, a decent mic. And it was just, again, bloody disaster. But there we go. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. That puts me in mind of something that happened to me very many years ago where I worked for a think tank. And one of the things we did all the time was speak at conferences or chair conferences, as our, yeah. you know, in our position as thought leaders in the mobile technology space. And we had a policy which was no one ever gets our slide decks, right? We'll present them. We will never share them with anybody. We won't send them to event organizers. We'll present them live from, you know, locally from our laptops, but you can't have them. And yeah. Even if it means literally walking out and refusing to do it. And uh, and once it got to a real sort of um, standoff situation where I would not share my slides. This wasn't my policy. I was just playing by <laughs> someone else's policy. Right. And uh, I, literally, I literally had to walk away from... A conference speaking gig that had i'm gonna guess about 100 people there um just just on the basis that i wouldn't share the powerpoint deck why why could i ask why would they why was that a policy so i mean fundamentally this you know think tanks and in general and this one in particular right they're selling their expertise right that they're selling them selling it to paid clients in a variety of different ways 
and there was a sense that we put enough value into these decks that if you really wanted them you know to play around with yourself you had to find a way of buying them rather than just being given them by virtue of going to a, an event i'm not defending this as an approach by the way but that was the rationale that was the thought Fair enough. i mean it's, it's pompous and self-important is the truth of the matter but that was yeah. the policy yeah but so, so you got to do stand off so did you end up actually doing the talk or was it no no literally literally walked away yeah oh, yeah wow. i mean truth is i took a little bit of pleasure in it because it was out of the ordinary <laughs> and like you know <laughs> it's not nor it's not often that you would do that so it was both both stressful and sort of pleasurable. And here I am telling a story 15 years later. So clearly I got something from it. That brings on beyond to uh, one of my next, well, one of the last, I've got two funny ones now, which are just kind Go of fairly it. whimsical. So, you know, conferences, yes, networking events, they're always interesting. And like, you know, you've probably been there where there's always that one person you get chatting to in the corner and there's sort of five minutes later, you regret it because they kind of like latch onto you. <laughs> you know sometimes they're on their own for a reason you know let's be honest uh, but no but like uh, one of i and the, the worst thing is if you're actually at a stand you can't you know sometimes you get people coming up to you and you can't really walk away mm. um and it was one of my colleagues we were at i can't remember which conference it was but we were at a tech conference of some sort or um, you know some business startup type thing and there was a guy who came up to our stand and he he just he he was talking to talking and talking and talking and he ended up going quite detailed into his personal life and explaining how he had a sex dungeon and a large collection of toys, which was <laughs> completely bizarre, at, um, you know, at a, at a business conference. But yeah, I think um, like one of my uh, one of my poor colleagues was chatting to this guy and he was just yeah he, he ended up sort of wow. revealing all really. It was very bizarre. Oh, good Lord. Good Lord. I Yeah, I got a story the other day from uh, on a training course that I was at where um, every, the, the like someone that had previously done this training course, it's like a leadership course, um, when asked for um, a confession to make where everyone assumes it's going to be lighthearted, <laughs> said, yeah. I'm, I'm addicted to internet pornography. And said that in front of the entire group, and uh, you just you can't believe that anyone would think that was an appropriate thing to share with a sort of diverse yeah. group of people. I think it's like sometimes people, um, you know, uh, go to conferences and they're kind of I don't know, they they just just something goes weird about them. I guess I don't yeah. know. There, you know, there, there is always like you know, I've been in plenty of situations. I've never had that, fortunately, where someone's been telling me all those kind of things. But I've been in so many situations where you know you get chatting to someone and you. You're chatting away, and you're thinking ten minutes later, oh, God, how do I, how can I, how can I end this conversation? How can I move on? Because, like, so, you know, part of it's obviously about qualifying people, and if they're, you know, you've got to be a little bit cutthroat if you if you're not, you know, ultimately you're there to sell your products and network and and build your business. And if people are just kind of spending time chatting about, you know, their their aunt or uncle, the dead cat or whatever, then it's uh, you know, it's kind of like a waste yeah. of time. Well, I call it the dance, right? If you're on a on an exhibition. Yeah. You know, stand that you've built or you're at a conference or whatever when you first speak to people there's a dance which is fundamentally working out uh who is selling to to who yeah um, and when you get a situation where you realize that both of you are attempt to selling to each other or it's attempting to sell to each other you realize this ain't going to go any further right and you need to get out quick uh, but that dance getting good at it you know working out in 30 seconds is this guy actually here because he's trying to sell me something qualified um, someone and, yeah yeah exactly yeah but that dance can be a bit awkward um and you have to get brutal i agree i agree 
Yeah, and I've I've had people that have just been trying to sell me some stuff that's blatantly just not appropriate or not uh, relevant to me whatsoever, and I've kind of said to them, I, oh, I'm not interested, and they still continue to to kind of give you their pitch, which I always find bizarre. Yeah, and annoying. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So on to the last one. Oh yeah, go for it. Go for it. So, so my last my last sort of story, which is quite a funny one to be fair, and there's actually a video of this, so I'll put we can put a link in the show notes. We were in the middle of doing a product launch once. And we were in a sort of, it was, you know, we were in a sort of small sort of office and we had a, uh, like a toilet kind of in the corner. And basically the, um, the, one of the marketing manager, the community manager at the time, Jamie, who's who now heads up marketing at radio.co actually got locked in the bathroom right in the middle of a busy launch. And <laughs> it was, we genuinely couldn't get it out. <laughs> like, uh, so, but fortunately one of our developers was previously a locksmith so he actually managed to break him out using a credit card <laughs> kind of like in the movies uh as i say it, it's uh it's not necessarily a marketing failure but it was kind of inconvenient at the time and he was probably in there for about an hour the poor guy and uh but until we eventually managed to, and there is we actually got a video of him, of him cracking the lock with a credit card and jamie then coming out i will find that video and make it available yeah Okay, I'm on it. I'm on it. So now I just want to talk more broadly about you as a marketer. Um, are you any good? Are you a good marketer? Do you think? Well, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I've I've had yeah you know, I've, I've got a few few different businesses which are doing pretty well. So I like to think I know what I'm talking about now. Mm. And what are you good at? What, what's the what's the bit that you do well? I think, like I mentioned earlier, like I my my approach to marketing, um, I'm not a salesman really. Um, I think I'm more of a marketer. I prefer to deliver value to a market and build an audience and use that as a way of selling versus doing direct sales or kind of email outreach so i've always very much relied on inbound marketing to to build my businesses we're starting to do a little bit more outbound stuff now but um that's really kind of been my sort of passion i think over the last 10 years Hmm. and what are your blind spots what what do you think you probably don't do that well in relation to marketing um, I think per- personally, I I'd like to understand more about the face Facebook ads. It's kind of a little bit over my ha- head. I know you can do all sorts of stuff with it, and we have uh, we have a couple of people in house who who do it, and we also work with an agency to to manage some of our advertising stuff as well. But I I, I find it fascinating, and I think it's so powerful. I kind of wish that I'd picked it up a few years ago when it was sort of starting to take off because now it's just so it's such a complex beast i just think i just don't have the time to, to, to learn it all but I'd, I'd love if i knew more about it mm. yeah that is that's a, a challenge that i face as well and so i in my current role i'm the uh, the chief marketing officer for a, a technology company and you know i shape the team and decide what mm. resources i want available to me and the the digital marketing role is is the one where i absolutely assume they will know a lot more than I do about their particular discipline. And I see yeah. my challenge is to bring in people that are really committed to understanding, you know, how this month is different to last month in terms of the algorithms of the different, you know, social platforms yeah. and so on. And and I just, it's the one where I absolutely acknowledge that I'm at a significant disadvantage in experience and, and you know, current knowledge, um, more so than any other discipline within marketing. You know, I let people that know what they're doing go for it yeah i agree i mean that's that's always again i've I've always been a big investor in people i believe that you know if you hire the right talent and and let them get on with it and give them that autonomy you know they'll deliver i think that's always you know it's always a good strategy to be honest 
don't mm, try and be yeah. too don't don't micromanage people let people get on with it and, and let them bring value to the table and, and kind of craft their own craft their own roles just to a certain extent you know mm, yeah i also know that the that role even if i took the time to fully bring myself up to speed and learn the sort of technical realities of it it wouldn't be the most appropriate thing for me anyway. I still wouldn't do it that well because I think it's yeah. a role for someone that is absolutely into detail and diligence and systematic approaches to to their work more than other disciplines. Yeah, and a lot of numbers as well involved in it, isn't it? It's it's a lot of kind of almost almost like verging on a bit mathematical, isn't it? They're getting, you know, figuring yeah. out, um, uh, you know, your return on ad spend and all this kind of stuff. It, it's like, it can get quite technical from that perspective. But yeah, I think it, again, I, I sort of dabbled in Facebook ads a few years ago, in the early days. And, um, and, you know, you couldn't do anything back then like custom audiences or, uh, mm. you know, analyzing how, how much time people have engaged with your videos, all these things, which are really super cool now. Um, mm. uh, you know, now I wish I'd kind of knew a bit more about that, but as I say, you know, you, you, you either you either hire the talent in or you find agencies that you can work with who can kind of deliver on that front. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. I'm uh, I have a digital marketer on my team and I have um, other members of the team that also get involved in the digital marketing. And we've uh, had an offer accepted for another who's seeing out 12 weeks of notice in their current role. So we're getting, getting more. Uh, resource in and I, I just can't wait that I've you know to the point that I've just got a whole load of expertise and time to throw at it it's going to be quite exciting I think yeah that's the slowest thing in the world as well isn't it when you have someone who's on a notice period that long oh, and you have yeah. to wait and it's it's frustrating you know yeah you know it is I only joined my current um place back in November and I had to do a 12-week notice period before joining and I've, I've got the guy that I wanted for the this new digital role and to sit through another 12 weeks to get him is quite frustrating but we will get there we'll get there yeah absolutely and that's how we ended it quick reminder that James's businesses are radio.co which is a complete radio station management tool podcast.co which is a podcast hosting platform and the tool that I use which is matchmaker.fm which connects podcast hosts to podcast guests. So I hope you enjoyed it too. Thanks once more to James, and I will see you next time. <coughs> Ruby! Non, je, je travaille, Ruby. <laughs>